0: Opposed Jesus, for example, is not opposing Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably read most or all. But how many times Bible time just to Bible reading the Bible time just to read it once, but the Bible, and that's why. But they had not understood and applied what they had read correctly. They were misunderstanding the Bible or misapplying the Bible, and that's why they were wrongly opposing Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably read most or all of the Bible. But there again, even reading the whole Bible and understanding the whole Bible are two different things. This is a really big book takes a long time just to read it once, and just reading it once is not enough to understand it all. We spend our whole lives as Christians right, growing in our understanding of the Bible, reading the Bible again and again. And you can ask people who have been Christians for longer than you have, you never stop seeing new things in the Bible. You never stop learning things that you had never learned before. And part of how we learn new things about the Bible is we listen to people who know more about the Bible than we do. And there are examples of this from Scripture. Uh, Remember in the the book of Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch was going back home from his visit to Jerusalem and he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip, who was a deacon in the church, heard... This Ethiopian eunuch reading from the scroll of Isaiah in his chariot. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch responded, how can I unless someone guides me? That's Acts eight thirty and 31. How can I understand what Isaiah is talking about unless somebody explains it to me? Unless somebody guides me in my understanding of this book? This is a hard book. All right. One of my favorite examples of this in Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. This is the famous story about Jesus appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's right after his resurrection. Two of Jesus' disciples are on the road headed to Emmaus, and Jesus sort of covertly joins them on their journey and starts talking to them, but they don't know who he is. And they're sad because Jesus has died. And they say, and you know, some of the women, they went to the tomb and he wasn't there. And you know, there's this talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, but these two disciples, they don't believe it. And so Jesus rebukes them, right? He says, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe uh, all that was spoken by the prophets and so on. And then Luke 24, 27 says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus had a Bible study with these two disciples and he started at the beginning of the Old Testament and he went all through the Old Testament and he said, "Let me show you all the things that the scriptures say about me." And then a little bit later, Jesus was with all of the disciples later in the gospel of Luke, in Luke 24. And Luke 24, and 45 says that Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Luke says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now I remember somebody saying about this passage, Wouldn't you have loved to be a fly on the wall in that Bible study, right? Wouldn't, don't you wish they had tape recorders or audio recorders, something back then? So somebody should, would have recorded that Bible study, and then you could sit down and listen to Jesus explaining, Jesus himself explaining from all the Old Testament, the things in the Bible that are about him. And I thought, yes, I would have loved to sit in on that Bible study. And then I remember sometime later, somebody saying, you know, in a way... We do have access to that Bible study. The whole New Testament is people who were either directly or indirectly taught and trained by Jesus in how to read the Bible. Teaching us how the things that Jesus did and accomplished fulfill what was spoken about him in the Old Testament. I mean, just go read the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is Peter and the apostles preaching, teaching, speaking, bringing in all these texts from the Old Testament saying this is how Jesus fulfills this passage. This is how Jesus fulfills this psalm. This is how what happened to Jesus fulfills what was spoken of in the prophets. The gospel writers do the same thing. Paul does the same thing. Hebrews does a lot of that, right? The whole New Testament is really a way for us to learn from those who were taught by Jesus how to understand and apply the Old Testament. We get to sin in on that Bible study from Luke 24, in a way, indirectly, through the teaching of the apostles and their companions in the books of the New Testament. Now, I bring all that up this morning by way of introduction Because this is what the Apostle Paul has been doing for us in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, he has been uh, showing us how if we will read the Old Testament correctly, we will see that what the Old Testament teaches is the same gospel that Paul preaches. He's been doing that all through chapter 4, but he does that in a particular way in our passage this morning. So if you haven't already turned there, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 4. And our focus this morning is going to be on verses 9 to 12. Verses 9 to 12. And there are several things I want you to see in this passage, but one of the things I want you to see in particular is how Paul teaches us how to rightly read, interpret, and apply the Bible, and specifically the Old Testament. So let me read for us Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Paul says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So, the question Paul is asking here in this passage is this. Is the blessing of justification by faith apart from works, is that blessing for Jews only or is it also for Gentiles? Right? When he speaks there of the circumcised, those are the Jews. Right and When he speaks of the uncircumcised, those are the Gentiles. And he begins by saying, is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? The blessing that he's talking about is the blessing he mentioned in verse 6. Right? Verse 6 he says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So that's the blessing he's asking about, is this blessing where God gives you the gift of righteousness, where God counts you righteous because you trust in Christ, apart from doing any good works, whether it's baptism or following the Ten Commandments or whatever, apart from works, by faith in Jesus, God says, you're righteous. Because you trusted in my son, you get his righteousness. And he goes on to say with the quote from David in verse 7 and 8, that this blessing also includes the forgiveness of sins. Right? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So when we use that big word justification, we're squeezing all that in there. Right? By justification we mean your sins are forgiven and God has given you his own righteousness so that you stand clean, cleansed from sin before God, and also clothed in the righteousness of Christ before God. If you're a Christian, that's part of your inheritance. That's what God has given you in Christ. That blessing, Paul says, that blessing of justification, is that only for the Jews Or is it also for the Gentiles? Now, why is he even asked that question? This is an important question, right? Again, if you've read the New Testament very carefully, you know this is a question that comes up a lot. Peter and Paul and James, the three pillars of the church, um, uh, three of the pillars of the church, they all speak to this issue at a big council. You can read about in Acts chapter 15, where the whole church just about is gathered to discuss and and try to resolve this issue. Do the Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be justified, in order to be saved? It's a big question. Paul also asks the question because the two examples he has brought up so far in chapter 4 to show that this is the way God saves Abraham and David, guess what, they're both Jews. They're both circumcised. So even if the Jews agree with Paul at this point, okay, we see Abraham was counted righteous when he believed. So, okay, got your point there. We see David speaking about this in Psalm 32, that God is not counting his sins against him, even though he has sinned, so he is being justified by faith apart from his works. Okay, granted, God does save his chosen people that way. Granted, God does save the Jews that way. Will he save the Gentiles that way, though. Paul, can you call a witness that will show us that God will save the Gentiles this way? Because you've already said that he will. In chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, in chapter 3, Right? God say, uh, Paul said, Is God the God of the Jews only? Verse 29, Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You've said that's the way God's going to do it. Can you prove it? Do you have any examples? Do you have any evidence? Can you call a witness that will make that case for you? Paul says, yes, I can. In fact, I already have. My witness is Abraham. Abraham, if you read his story correctly, the life of Abraham will testify that God is going to save, does save the uncircumcised Gentiles by faith, just like he saves the circumcised Jews by faith. Now, how is he going to prove that? How is he going to demonstrate that? Well, he begins to demonstrate that in the middle of chapter nine. Excuse me, verse nine. I mean, In the middle of verse nine. He says, "For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness." Right. So we—he's already quoted that back in verse three. Right. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So at this point in verse nine, he's saying, "Let's." I'm assuming we all agree about that. It's scripture, right? So you can't argue with it. Genesis 15, 6. We've all agreed God counted Abraham righteous when he believed. Right? Okay, all on the same page. Now, verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Okay, so you see what Paul's doing here? Paul's saying, we all agree that Abraham was justified by faith apart from his works. We read that in Genesis fifteen six. 6. You want to know, does God do that only for circumcised Jews or also for uncircumcised Gentiles? I'd tell you how to answer that question. You just ask this question. When was Abraham counted righteous? When was Abraham justified? Was he justified by faith before he was circumcised? or after he was circumcised. Because if he wasn't justified by faith until after he was circumcised, then you could make a case that this blessing is only for the Jews. But if he was justified by faith before he was circumcised, then why would you say that Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be justified? Abraham wasn't. So how how does the story play out? How did it happen in Abraham's case? What did God do for Abraham? This is not a hard question to answer. What Paul is asking us to do is just go back to Genesis and read the story in order. Abraham was counted righteous when he believed in Genesis 15, verse 6. When did Abraham receive circumcision? In Genesis 17. Which one comes first? Genesis 15. Which means that Abraham was counted righteous when he believed before he was circumcised. In other words, before he became a Jew, so to speak. In a sense, when Abraham was counted righteous, he was still a Gentile. Now, we don't think about Abraham that way because we think of him as the father of the Jews. But where did Abraham come from? He came from Ur of the Chaldees, right? from the land of Babylon. He came from a family that worshiped false gods. You read about that in Joshua 24, I think it is. He probably did himself. He wasn't born a Jew. There was no such thing as a Jew. He was the first one that God called and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He's the forefather of the Jews. But when he first was called out by God, and when he first trusted God, and when he was first counted righteous by God, Paul says that was was before he was circumcised, while he was still, in a sense, a Gentile. Now, if that's the case then what does that mean for the rest of the Gentiles who believe? You can almost make Paul's argument for him at that point. But here's what I want you to notice first before we move on in the argument. Here's what I want you to notice first. Notice first that Paul is teaching us here how to read the Bible. Because here's what people do. Right? They say, well, we know Abraham trusted God, we know Abraham obeyed God, we know Abraham uh, was circumcised, and we know Abraham was faithful, and they just sort of pour all that in the pot. Right? It's just sort of all mixed in there together. Right? A- Abraham was all of those things. And so then they say, well, people who are going to be children of Abraham, they've got to have all those things. You've got to believe, and you got to obey, and you've got to be circumcised, basically you've got to be a Jew. Paul says, no, 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 no. Take all that stuff out of the pot. It didn't all happen at the same time. You can't mix all that stuff together. You're not reading the Bible correctly. You're not reading the Bible carefully. You need to read it in order. How did God do that? Don't just squash Abraham's story into one sentence as if it all happened at once. Read the story as it unfolds. Read the way God acted in history, in time, in the life of this man. How did this play out? Here's how it played out. Faith came first. When he believed, he was counted righteous. Then he was circumcised. Then came his great act of obedience when he was willing to offer up Isaac. You can't Jumble all those things up and say the order doesn't matter. The order matters. Reading the Bible in order, interpreting it at least in order, matters. How you put the Bible together is important, in other words. Uh, Paul makes the same kind of argument in uh, Galatians chapter 3. When he says, don't forget, I'm paraphrasing here, he says, don't forget the promises God made to Abraham came before he gave the law to Moses. That means the promises to Abraham have priority over the law because the promises came first and the covenant God made with Moses can't strike out the covenant God made with Abraham. You've got to read it in order. Now I'm not saying you can't ever read books of the Bible out of order or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when you're putting it together, when you're interpreting it, when you're applying it, you can't just pick a piece from here and a piece from there and throw it all in the pot and say, here's what you do. You've got to see how the story unfolds. You've got to see how it all fits together. So Paul says, go read Abraham again. Go read the story again. When was he counted righteous? It was before he was circumcised. Now, why is that important? Look at verse 11. Paul says, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Like somebody pointed out when I was studying this passage this week, some of the Jews might ask if Paul says, okay, he was righteous before he was circumcised. So Gentiles can be saved without being circumcised. And someone might say, well, then what was the point of circumcision? Why have it at all? Well, here's why. Verse 11. It was a sign and it was a seal. Uh, It was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, we read that chapter earlier in the service. God told him, This act of circumcision, that's a sign in your flesh of this covenant that I'm making with you. In that way, it's like the rainbow. The covenant God made with Noah and all creation that he was never going to flood the world again. The rainbow is the sign of that covenant. It's the reminder that that covenant exists. Circumcision is the sign of the promises that God made to Abraham, of the covenant that he made to Abraham. That's one reason why circumcision was something God required of Abraham. The second thing Paul says here is that it was also a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he was not righteous because he was circumcised. Right? Which might be how some of the Jews would have wanted to interpret it. Right? He's, circumc- he's righteous because he's circumcised. Paul says no the circumcision was the seal, the authenticating mark of the circumcision he already had. Right? When if you receive a letter from the governor, how do you know it's authentic? It's got the seal on it. Doesn't have the seal, you might think it's junk or some kind of scam. Right? But put the seal on it, you know this is really from him. How do we know Abraham is really righteous, that he's really in relationship with God, that he's really been forgiven of his sin, that he's been made one of God's people? Circumcision is the seal of the righteousness that he already had before he was circumcised. So circumcision had a purpose, but it was not essential to being justified or being counted righteous. And to anyone who said, to Paul or anybody else, you know, you can't really be counted righteous by God if you aren't a Jew, if you aren't circumcised. Paul could turn around and say, haven't you read Genesis? Have you not read what Moses said in the book of Genesis in the story of Abraham? Now, how do we apply this? Why did God do it this way? All right, the middle of verse 11, Paul gives us the purpose The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. In other words, God did it in this order of him being counted righteous by faith before he was circumcised. God did it in this order on purpose because God was planning to save uncircumcised people like Abraham was, non-Jewish people. The same way he saved Abraham. And he wanted Abraham to be their father. So that means if you believe, you trust in Jesus, you are a child of Abraham. You are part of his family. You get to share in his inheritance. And Paul's going to talk about that later in chapter 4. We'll get to that maybe next week. But you're a child of Abraham if you believe like Abraham believed. That's why God did it this way. So you'd be part of his family. And he says, there at the end of verse 11, so that righteousness would be counted to them, uncircumcised people who believe, as well. So God's purpose was not only that Gentiles would belong to the family of Abraham, but also his purpose was that Gentiles would be saved the same way Abraham was saved, that they would be counted righteous by faith apart from works, just like Abraham was counted righteous by faith apart from works, which means as far back as the days of Abraham, God had already planned and purposed to save not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. This is not new. As much as it shocked in some ways, the early church. It was not new. It was there in the Old Testament if you just had eyes to see. And then one more purpose he mentions in verse 12. And he says, to make him, make Abraham, the father of the circumcised, he doesn't stop there though, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Abraham's the father of Gentiles who believe. And somebody might say, and the Jews. And Paul says, and the Jews who believe like Abraham believed even before he was circumcised. It's not enough to have Abraham at the top of your family tree. It's not enough to have the sign of circumcision that you have because you were born into Abraham's family, that you were born into the nation of Israel. Abraham is your father, Jew or Gentile, if you believe like Abraham believed. Remember, he said something like this at the end of chapter 2, when he said, he, this is uh, 2.27 and twenty-eight. He who is physically uncircumcised, a Gentile, but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. In verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Who belongs to the family of Abraham? Who gets to share his inheritance? Who is counted righteous by faith like Abraham was? It's not the Jews only. It's not even the Jews in mass. It's all those Jews or Gentiles who believe like Abraham believed. Faith is the key. For Abraham, for Jews, for Gentiles, for you, for me, the outward signs of religion, whether it's circumcision in the Old Testament or baptism in the New Testament, the outward signs of religion are important, but they just don't count for much if you don't have faith. Faith is what counts. Faith is what matters. Those signs, those seals, are only meant to show that there's something really there, right? namely faith in Christ, which brings righteousness and forgiveness and all the rest. If you don't have faith, so that you're not connected to Christ, you can have all the signs and stuff you want, but they, they don't count. They don't matter. They don't achieve anything by themselves. It meant you know, to be a Jew and to be circumcised, that was great. Paul says there are advantages to that. But if you don't believe, those advantages don't help you. Nothing ultimately comes of that. So if we will listen to Jesus and the apostles and learn from them how to read and understand and apply the Bible, we will see this kind of thing, not only in the life of Abraham, but all through the Scriptures. If we will take them as our guides, as we read the Gospels, as we read Acts, as we read the letters of Paul, they will teach us how to rightly read and understand and apply the Bible to our lives. They will show us that God's plan is to save people of all stripes and kinds and languages and nations and so on. All the same way, right? by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That has always been the plan. That is still the plan. It will always be the plan until that plan is fulfilled at the coming, the return of Jesus. Let's pray.